Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterbarus. I hope he is a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Pink on Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. I'm Tim Saxby. I'm here as always. And this week, I'm always, as, as always, joined by a man who I once witnessed crush an apple in his bare hand. Not not like that Bob Mortimer, would I lie to you clip. This, this guy held an apple in, in his hand and just crushed it like a soda can. Uh, his name is Harry Murdoch. How are you? I actually kind of want to try that now. <laughs> have you got an apple nearby? I have apples, but I'm planning to eat them for lunch. Try so. one now. Do it now. Go on, quick. Get grab it. No. Do I'm it. Not. Try try one. How many apples have you got on you? It's tomorrow. What? I'm not wasting a perfectly good apple. Have you got a banana? A banana's easy. Bananas are easy. I know we can crush a banana. That, that, that's because, listeners, he can't actually do it, and he's lying to you all. He doesn't love any of you. Uh, but what Harry does love is rampant, uh, rampant, 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 uh, a word that I'm trying to say, Doctor Who speculation. You love it, don't you, Harry? Oh, yes. It's my favourite thing to do. So um, we've got the watch along coming up later on. But before that, we always go through this week's Doctor Who news. Last week... There was literally no news. And this week, it's a very similar story, apart from the fact that there is a little bit of news that we can talk about. Um, Shall we start, Harry, with Series 13, um, as always? All today's news is really around Series 13 and the upcoming possible special that we're going to be getting. Um, So let's start with Series 13. Now, apparently, the running order for Series 13 will consist of three two-part episodes and two single episodes to complete the eighth episode running time. Um, that's not included. In that what was that? Sorry. Would be in that order: three two-parters, then two solo episodes. No, no. If I remember what it was, it was episode one and two, then episode three, four and five, six, seven and eight. Interesting. Yeah. Now I don't mind that, but. From what went from our recent watch songs, I've always found that the um the two part episodes tend to be somewhat um dragged out in story. Um so how do you feel about these there being a consistently large number of uh two part episodes? There's hasn't haven't the Chibnall era episodes been longer anyway? Like haven't they been kind of fifty minutes to an hour long anyway? Or am I wrong in saying that? I think you might be wrong in saying that, Harry. See, here's the thing, like, I feel like for most stories, that's enough. And while I I am by no means, you know, as disparaging of the Chibnall era as a lot of people are, one thing I noticed, especially with um, the New Year's special, was that there were points where it felt like it was really, really taking its time. Yeah. And I feel like... I must admit that I'm a little apprehensive as to whether we need stories to be as long, I mean, this long with this era. That being said, I did really like uh, Spyfall Part 1 and 2. I thought yeah. that was a really enjoyable 
two-parter, one of the best of this era. So yeah, I sometimes feel as well if you know an episode is going to be a two-part before you watch it, you might just not bother and wait till the next week and sort of watch them back to back. If you know what I mean, with sort of binge culture and stuff like that, it's almost like. Oh, like now, if I watch an episode of something on Netflix, it says to be continued. I don't go, well, I guess I'll wait till tomorrow. I go, oh, I'll watch it now. But I think if you're watching on telly, you sort of feel maybe cheated if you get to the end of a 45 minute episode and there's no conclusion. I don't feel like that because I feel like if it ends on a nothing cliffhanger, like if you think back to like Spyfall, like that ended on like the excellent cliffhanger of a really fun master reveal. Yeah, okay, that's true. But I feel like sometimes these cliffhangers can be like, like Satan's Pit or something like that, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, especially when it's a mid-season sort of cliffhanger. You're like, well, I know everybody's going to be okay because we're only episode two in or something like that. Well, I can also assume um, the only two parties we've had so far with Jody have been penned by Chibble himself, right? Um, I couldn't possibly say, but I'm inclined to agree. Then I, I, I mean, I. Don't imagine that Chris has written six of the eight episodes in this series. So I'm guessing most, if not all, of these two-parters have been penned by other writers. So maybe they'll bring a different energy to these two-parters, which makes them work in the way that they maybe haven't worked for you in the past. I don't think there was any two-parters in Series 1, was there? In Sorry, in Series 11. Series 11 was all single episodes and yeah. series all opened and closed with a two-parter. Yeah, I quite I liked that aspect of it that it was all singular episodes because it was kind of just like a like a story. You were just popping in on different chapters and it wasn't like a I kind of liked it. It's a bit more of a chilled layout, but then I also understand, yeah, Skyfall Part One, uh, Spyfall Part One, Spyfall Part Two, um, and then the Timeless Child. I don't know. Assassination of the Cybermen, yeah, the time was charged, yeah. Uh, was that what, um, what were your thoughts on uh, Series 9? Have you seen Series 9? Series 9. Series 9, was, that was uh, Capaldi's second series, and it was all two-parters. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Um, I don't think I watched that that series go out live. Um I have seen it since. I've just Googled Series 9 and gone on Google Images and there's a load of razors, apparently. Um, I should probably specify Doctor Who. Um, I don't know. I feel like I couldn't have probably watched it live anyway because it would have just irritated me every week that I wasn't getting a full finished story. I would have to wait. But you can't just have... With that series, you couldn't just have one story. It had to be... um, two separate episodes creating one whole story uh, like a hybrid oh, for god's sake <laughs> <laughs> um do you think that's why series nine because of the hybrid thing so each two parts was like a hybrid story i i don't know i struggle to remember a lot of the hybrid stuff and uh, so we will have to wait and see when we well, do I remember that every episode the doctor at some point would compare something to a hybrid rightio okay uh, maybe then, yeah. But we'll have to wait and see when we get to Series 9, which isn't too far off. I remember it being... I found it... I don't know if it was meant to be... It probably wasn't meant to be funny, but I found it sort of funny. Because <laughs> it was kind of like... It was a much less... It was a... It was a like, you know how like Bad Wolf in Series 1 was kind of something that was kind of like maybe a piece of text in the background? Yeah, yeah. Really Yeah, it was like... 
it was always verbalized. So oh, well. yeah, and it was verbalized by the main character. So it was impossible to ignore. <laughs> um let's move on. Um we mentioned there that, that that's an eight episode um, run for series thirteen. Is that thirteen? Series thirteen? Am I right there? Series thirteen? Yeah. But that doesn't include the New Year's special, which we know will feature Daleks because we saw pictures of Nicholas Briggs and Dalek props arriving on set. So uh, have you seen the picture of them trying to disguise that they're bringing a Dalek into the building? A bit of cloth over the top dome bit, didn't they? Yeah, but it's got no head on it anyway, so you can just see the bottom of it, and it's so obvious. And like, you can see his gun sticking out. That's brilliant. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the New Year's special, um, apparently there's been a, a lot of stuff, possibly all bollocks, posted online about it. But anyway, we're, we're short on news, so we're going to run down through it anyway. Some of it does seem quite interesting, though. Um, so series, na- uh, sorry, uh, the New Year's special will be the ninth episode of the series, and we'll both, I'll go through it bit by bit, and I'll get your reaction to each piece of news. Um, the New Year's special will apparently see the departure of Yaz and Dan. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. What, what capacity? Do you think Dan will leave and Yaz will die or Yaz will leave and die? I, I feel like Dan, being kind of the new one introduced, it might be more likely that he's killed off and then Yaz is given some sort of arc conclusion. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's been more likely for Dan to die. Ooh, I say okay. this, we've not even met Dan yet. But. You just don't like John Bishop, do you? That's what it is. I like John Bishop. I have like three stand-up DVDs by John Bishop. Yeah, but you've stood on them all with uh, with your Doc Martin boots and you crushed them. I watched you. <laughs> um, also in the New Year's special, the 13th Doctor will start to mirror Dewan, uh, Dewan's master and become slightly more unstable after um, the, the news that she got about the timeless child and all that stuff. You're saying they're going to give um, the 13th Doctor a time war victorious type thing? No, I think they're just. Uh, it seems about time that they're going to try and do something more with Jodie's doctor rather than just have her being funny and bubbly. Actually, give her some depth and some darkness, which would actually be quite good because if anybody's seen anything else Jodie Whittaker's ever done, she's amazing at playing someone yeah. just being a tortured victim. 100%. Um, I watched Adult Life. Oh, my favorite episode. Sorry, go, sorry, go on. My favorite episode of Jodie's run has been. What was it called? The um, Percy Shelley one, the haunting of something, something. Yeah, I know it's when you mean. <laughs> yeah, but one of my favorite things about that episode was that there was a sustained period where Jodie just got to be like intense. And it was like, it kind of, you know, so much of stuff we've seen like David Dr. B, where it's kind of like the, the weight of these decisions and history and all of that. It's like, it's those bits of the Doctor that make them so compelling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another bit of New Year's special news is that... Okay, so this is kind of big news, and I don't necessarily know if this is going to be true, but it would be super interesting if they did do something like this. It's apparently that the Master and the Doctor both have a meeting on Khan, which is the planet that holds the Sisterhood of Khan, which has been a, a returning sort of group of people since Classic Who, last seen in 
Paul McGann's Night of the Doctor where they uh, advise him on how to regenerate. And whilst they're there, they bump into, or they bump into, they find out that um, Razalon has been hiding on Khan ever since Capaldi kicked him out of Gallifrey in Hellbent. That's where he's been hiding ever since, um, which would bring back the character of Razalon, uh, played by Timothy Dalton in David Tennant's final episodes and played by an old man who looks a bit like Timothy Dalton in those other episodes. Thoughts? Interesting, interesting. I mean, it would be a nice kind of change of pace because kind of the current status quo with Gallifrey is that the master destroyed it. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'd be good if it, it would just to distinguish it more from the Russell era to say that Gallifrey itself is destroyed, but the time wars are all kind of strewn about. That yeah. could be interesting. I guess. That would be good, yeah, like these big high figures of the Time Lords, they're sort of like just scattered around the universe, sort of doing their own thing, rather than just... A new Gallifrey somewhere or something, and that's yeah, yeah. big. Yeah, cool. Thing. I like the sound of that. Um, so th- there you go, there's some news on the New Year's special. Now, um, t- 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 if we link that back into some news that came out today, which is that, you know, we, uh, there's been a lot of talk this week about Jodie Whittaker's possible regeneration. There were some set photos leaked where she doesn't look particularly happy. Um, not when I say that, she doesn't look angry. She lo- generally looks upset like she's about to go and film something that she doesn't want to film. And John Bishop's there sort of comforting her. And I saw a few people online saying this could just be a personal thing that's going on in her life, which completely could be. But of course, there is a chance that it could be to do with the show and the fact that cast members are comforting her makes me think that it could possibly be that when she has filmed her regeneration scene, uh, you know, when David Tennant did his video diaries for when he left Doctor Who, there was, you know, it was quite emotional there. And uh, the same with Smith as well. I don't think we had any behind the scenes Capaldi stuff from when he left the series. But um, apparently one rumor going around is that Jodie Whittaker's um, eventual regeneration in the New Year's special will actually let end on a cliffhanger episode. Thoughts on that, Harry? As in, as in sort of like an end of time, no end of time, like a um, stolen earth type thing where well, like... I believe I have a conclusion to the regeneration. I believe I have a conclusion to like, it, but I yeah, want to like, know like, what your thoughts are. Like the series four finale where it, the cliffhanger was the Doctor mid-regeneration? Yeah, it would be similar to that, yeah. Okay. That would suggest that Jodie's time as the Doctor is up, but they haven't found a 14th Doctor yet, if that was what they were going for. Okay. You'd think that if they'd found a 14th Doctor, then they would show them straight yeah. after the regeneration. That's, weird. That's interesting. That's interesting. What do you Has think that to keep in, what do you think to keep in um future doctors secret until we actually see them on screen? It's never been done before, has it? Don't think so, no. You've always never I mean, I feel like Doctor Who's a show that's all about changing experimentation. I'd be all up for going into a Doctor Regeneration having no idea who the next person's gonna be. Yeah, I would. I think that'd be great fun. I remember when they were like casting Ben Affleck as Batman and my friend said a great way to announce it would just to be put him in the Batman suit and then just post that picture of him online and go, here he is. And you don't know who it is because you can only see the mouth. 
That'd be cool. They'd yeah. be good like analyzing the jawline. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I've always now- with like you know how um, Chris Brown time ended with like the close up of Capaldi's eyes turning to Jodie's eyes. Yeah. And then he got rid. What if we ended on something like that? Where we saw like one part of Jodie's face change into the new actor. Everyone was trying to like find, figure out whose eyes it was. <laughs> yeah, or just a hand or a thumb, something real it'd like, random. It'd be like masked singer or masked dancer, but with the doctor. The... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Love the masked dancer. It's great. Um, now, uh, despite making you speculate just then, I do apparently have a conclusion to what that would happen with that regeneration. So one rumour going around is that the New Year's special will end with a cliffhanger regeneration with Jodie Whittaker apparently turned into the 14th Doctor, but that might not be the case. As a new rumour suggests um, from the Mirror today that in 2022, Jodie Whittaker will star in two Doctor Who specials throughout the year. In the same way David Tennant did a year of specials, you would get two Doctor Who specials in 2022 with Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor. There are a lot of parallels between the way the 13th Doctor and the 10th Doctor are being treated, aren't there? Yes, in what no, regard? That, right? Sorry, say that again? Like, the the, the of parallels that there are, have been made between the way the 13th Doctor and the 10th Doctor have been presented to audiences. Yeah, in, in, what, in what respect? Well, I feel like... The kind of the attitude of the 13th Doctor, although I'd say it's probably closer to the 11th Doctor, there are undeniable similarities still between that and the 10th Doctor. Um, also, the fact that stuff like the last um, series ended with the whole cliffhanger with the Doctor going, what? What? That was a very 10th Doctor series cliffhanger that he did more than once. And then yeah. this idea of this Doctor doing three series and then a bunch and then a year of specials. I mean, I, I, in a sense, I understand why Chibnall would want to do that because the 10th Doctor is one of, if not the most popular incarnation. But it, it's strange. It's, if that is what they're doing, it's, it's going to be impossible to ignore those parallels. Yeah, and You could kind of put down to coincidence up until this point, but what do you think then to two specials? I kind of feel that's slightly not enough for a year. Um, I don't really know when you... Well, I suppose if you have a New Year's special, and then you could have an Easter one and then a Christmas one again. So you would have one at the start of the year, which would be whatever the one they're filming now. Then you would have one at Easter time, and then you would have one at the back end of the year. So you would have basically... Well, that's basically what the year of specials with the 10th Doctor was, wasn't it? There was the next Doctor on a Christmas. What's that, that the, banging uh, noise? I think there's builders working. Oh, sorry, my accommodation. <laughs> uh, there's like the 10th, then was the, the one, what was it called? The bus in a desert one. Yeah, the Waters of Mars. No, Waters of Mars was the next one. Like, that's the one. When was Waters of Mars? When was that on? Oh, Planet of the Dead. Planet of the Dead was the Easter one because he holds an yeah, egg. That was the Easter one. When was Waters of Mars? I have a feeling that might have just been a summer thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That was like the outlier. But if you take that one out of the equation, then basically the same thing. If it oh, was... the Waters of Mars, 19th of December. That no. Right. That's that was... not right, is it? That's when 
time. That's way too considerable time, isn't it? Um, was first broadcast on the 15th of November, 2009. Oh, November. November. It did say December originally. I just went onto the Wikipedia. It does say December. Yeah. Uh, I, I could have sworn it was earlier than that. I know. Time seemed longer when we were children. Um, so what do you think to uh, those two specials I think that would be a fun thing to do because I feel like with an eight episode reduction sorry with an episode reduction to a series reduction to eight episodes um, having a couple of specials chucked in there would you know be able to flesh out Jodie's character and I I do still feel like we don't really know the 13th Doctor that well yet Mm, hmm Yeah, I know what you mean. So two specials. For a thumbnail's sake, what do you hope to see in these two specials? Let's start with special one. What returning character would you like to see? Did you want me to go full thumbnail in this? I want to see Jenny. And that's outside of a thumbnail thing. I think that would be quite nice. I would like to see that character return. Sorry? What would you, would you do with Jenny if she came back? I don't know. You could just do like a fun family adventure thing, couldn't you? It doesn't have I mean, to... episode, If that happened with Jodie, the episode would inevitably be called The Doctors. I mean, it wouldn't be. A, <laughs> that's a, that's a, so it's still The Doctor's Daughter. The Doctor's Daughter's Mother. The, the Doctor's Daughter's Mother, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> no, yeah, I think. They don't really need to have an exciting storyline to bring Jenny back, I don't think. I feel you could just have them bump into each other and they join each other on an adventure. All right. Cool. Yeah. I feel like it'd be cool to bring out some kind of like... um... Because we've not really seen... We've seen Doctor as kind of like a... This the thirteenth Doctor as kind of like a friend, as a chum, as a mate, yeah. as a fam. But we've not really seen them assume a more parental type role yet. The thirteenth Doctor. No, that's true. Yeah, so that bring out a new. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, I quite like that. That would be good. Yeah, because normally it's like brother sister relationship, but to actually have like a, a, a like yeah, like you said, like a parental protective figure more so than we already sort of have. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, you don't get that a lot with the Doctor as is. Like, sometimes you get a kind of mentor-student relationship, but not very much is it a parental relationship between companions. That's true, that's true. Um, what about in the second one? Anything? Is there anything you wouldn't want to see? Anything I wouldn't want to see? Yeah. But honestly, it's kind of hard to say. I just want them to make... If you do a year of specials, I want each special to feel like it's worth it. Like you're doing something substantial. You know, it can't just be a filler episode from any other series, which would be fun within the context of a whole series. Like as an individual special, you need to really justify your distance. So you need something that's interesting or has a bit of weight to it. Yeah, I guess like with I the year of specials, they those were sort of one story told distantly yeah. throughout the year. Whereas I don't just want and this is what the doctor's doing this week. I would. Um, hey, okay, I'm going to go super pie in the sky. What if the two specials 
for each one, they brought back one of the old showrunners. Mm-hmm. So the first special was written by Russell. The second special was written by Moffat. Just complete one-off stories. Have you done that for my thumbnail? Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat returning to write one-off specials? Hooray! Chibnall out. <laughs> of course, you're going to have to put exclamation mark, question mark, just That's to make sure that people get very cross. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, fun. I don't know, though, because I feel like those two specials would sort of cap off an era. And I therefore feel as if, if they were going to do that, Chibnall was probably... And I, I personally would want Chibnall to write that last Whitaker episode. Yeah, absolutely, same. Yeah. It um, would make sense yeah. to write it. I've got one last piece of news, Harry, which is that this year's Doctor Who annual will not feature the Doctor on it, and that's the first time that's ever happened in the show's history. Dun-dun-dun. Could this lead to more speculation that Jodie Whittaker's leaving the series after three seasons? Who's going to be on it instead? The TARDIS. Oh, all right. <laughs> I feel like you could, you can, you can only read so much into a magazine cover. I know the we've been doing a lot cover, of Harrison. It's not the magazine; it's the annual, the big year-off Christmas present that you get your kids. Your kids? No, but I, from what I've seen on Twitter, though. Um, People are generally annoyed because the 13th Doctor hasn't even been mentioned or seen on the cover of the actual Doctor Who magazine for about the last seven months. Is that not just because there hasn't been a new series? But there hasn't been like a new Paul McGann series or a new David Tennant series or... But they're what? doing they're finished on. stuff, aren't they? So, well, like they're re-releasing old classic Who series on Blu-ray and stuff, aren't they? I know, so. but for seven months, that seems like a... Whereas, like, when David Tennant was the Doctor, when there was no series on, he was always on the cover of that thing. No, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, that I feel like the the current Doctor should be the figurehead for the show, regardless of their popularity. Yeah. And um, you know. And you say that. As Although totally that being said, the current Doctor is usually one of the most popular incarnations of the Doctor, or you know, most popular because they're the current figurehead for the show, which they should be. And Jodie actually is. I mean, I've said it before. Jodie is doing an incredible job being a figurehead and a representative for the show. And the amount of stuff that she does in costume, in character, for different kind of charity events, stuff like that. I think the work she's doing is incredible in that regard. Yeah. Um, I'm all out of news, Harry. So how about you take us into the watch along? Okay. Um, last week was Blink, wasn't it? Uh, yes, I think yeah, it was yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, how about this world we're living in? A Tim, pretty uh, pretty idyllic, isn't it? I really like it, Harry. I wish there was a a, a word I could use to sum up how much I love it. Yeah, like maybe like um, a, a paradise or like no, par- I don't know, maybe something a bit more societal, like a like a unified, perfect community. Is there is there a word for that? Paradise. 
Utopia and watching Utopia. Well, uh, we damn it, I did a whole video analysis on the song Paradise by Coldplay. Da, 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 Oh my god, I just got a notification as to whether I'm playing music. <laughs> Did you actually? <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, this is Utopia, guys. Am um... I Coldplay? Am I Coldplay, Tim? <laughs> Podcast scans detect you are not subscribed. The Daleks order you to subscribe. Resistance is futile. Failure to subscribe will lead to extermination. Seek, locate, subscribe. Um, this is our third attempt at recording our thoughts on Utopia. Uh, the first one we got distracted, the second one was a phone call, and this is our third attempt. No matter what happens, we're going with it. I'm a bit tipsy. Harry's just come back from a few drinks. Anything could happen. It's live TV. How are you doing, Harry? Well, it's not TV. It's a podcast. It's also not live. It's pre-recorded a couple of weeks in advance. I'd also like to make clear that um, even though I have been at the pub with mates as I'm talking, Tim is sweet for his pint. I'd like to say that I am within a podcasting capacity. I'd like to make that clear. Good. So no need to get the podcast police knocking on old Harold's door. Um, what episode are we talking about here, Harry? We are talking about, as you mentioned, Utopia by Russell T. Davis. Yeah. Um this episode I really actually enjoyed, but before I go into what I think of Utopia, um, what did you think, Harry? Oh, sorry, I, I was. Say, uh... I, we probably said it before, but just in case we forgot, um, the character of Captain Jack Arnold is played by John Barrowman. Now we're aware of recent events uh, uh, around Barrowman, which is like to make it clear that when we talk about Captain Jack, we are talking about the fictitious character created by Russell T Davies. That just so happens to be portrayed by John Barrowman. So any praise we give um, the character of Jack is directed at the Jack is directed at Captain Jack Hartness, unless expressed otherwise. I think that will be fair. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. Uh, what do you think of Utopia, Harry? Yeah, Utopia. I have to say, it pleasantly surprised me. I um, kind of just, in my mind, this was the episode that was um, the uh, just the setup for the finale. Uh, to this series the two-part finale but really there's a lot of really great moments within this that i'd completely forgotten about i guess taken for granted especially as you get closer and closer to the end yeah um, of the episode it just really ramps up in fact Mm. i'd say that the cliffhanger of this tops the cliffhanger of army of ghosts which Mm. at the time i said was perhaps the best cliffhanger doctor had had but i know this gives it a run for its money the Army of Ghosts was good. I remember that one. I remember really enjoying that one. Um, so let, before we jump to the end, let's start at the beginning, because that's a good place to start. The TARDIS arrives back in Cardiff. Now, this is the first time we've been back in Cardiff. This series, I want to say, we fit that they have filmed there, but to actually say we're in Cardiff, I think this is the first time. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, undoubtedly, because they filmed the show in Cardiff. And I'm pretty sure that pretty much every London scene, unless it's like an iconic location, is filmed on a street in Cardiff, isn't it? Yeah. And sometimes they just superimpose yeah. London in the background of streets of Cardiff as well, which is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, this is the first direct callback to, uh, was it, it's only this and Boomtown in New Who that have, ex- well, and um, The Unquiet Dead that have explicitly taken place in Cardiff itself, aren't they? I think you are correct there, yeah. There might be the odd drop-off at certain points, but I think this is the main one, yeah. Yeah, but this was a pretty direct callback to Boomtown, wasn't it? Because they were stopping the same place for a similar reason. Yeah, that's true, yeah, they... Yeah, they reference back to Boomtown, don't they? They say that last time he was here, he caused the earthquake and stuff. Um, there's some really great moments in this opening scene. Um, Jack's Return is really good, how that ties into the actual Torchwood TV series. You can almost uh, Rogue One and you hope that by watching them straight back to back and they'll lead directly into each other, which I think is great. And also we get some really good, um, what I really like from David Tennant's Doctor is the way he just throws himself around the TARDIS when that mm. thing is rattling and taking off and he's got his legs up on it and he's kicking stuff with his converses and he's pulling levers and pulling on bits of string with his teeth. I feel that's something that's maybe lost from newer TARDISes, especially Capaldi's one. That was like a, a fantastic spaceship and it didn't rattle and it was very... And only when you were holding on for your life, it was when something was going wrong. But with Tennant and Eccleston, I feel like that's a common occurrence no matter where you're going. Yeah, that's kind of something that I don't know if it was common. I know they did a little bit in Classic Hero. I don't know how much. I always have a real fondness for kind of just those scenes where the Doctor and their companions are just throwing themselves around the TARDIS as it's in motion. It's just very energetic, very fun, making something time travel which could, in action, be very stagnant, be become something exciting and fun to watch. And I also just got to really admire the actors because obviously. For them, the set they're on isn't moving or spinning or anything. Someone, the cameraman's just, you know, well, they're not just shaking the camera about. It's pretty much that effect. They're tilting it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they still kind of throw their bodies into it and make that feel very authentic. Yeah, I do yeah. wonder, like, is it tightly choreographed? Do they have to choreograph it so that the Doctor and the Companion kind of move to the same places at the same time? It's something I've always wondered. I think so. I'm trying to think if I've done bits of directing before. Um, I imagine so, just for the sake of the cameraman. Mm, yeah. But then true. I maybe imagine maybe some of the shakiness comes from maybe putting a zoom lens, or what I would call a zoom lens, so that should be a proper name for it, where, they, where the slight hand movements are more exaggerated, so maybe you don't have to shake the camera, you can just hold it, and by moving it, it gives a more of a, uh, a rattled effect. Um, All right, let's see. So the TARDIS takes off, and it lands on... What is the planet it lands on? There's a name for it, isn't there? Is it still Earth? It's still Earth, isn't it? It's Earth just like so. billions of trillions of years in the future, no? I'm not sure, I can't remember. But they bump into the sort of... We are greeted with the... They're not really explained who they are, but the humankind. They're like ravaged humans that are sort of feeding off other humans. They've got big pointy teeth and they they look like Slipknot fans. Um <laughs> what did you think to them? They're they're interesting, but I sort of feel we don't really know much about them. Yeah, it's interesting. The whole kind of world that we're introduced to in Utopia, it's strange. Um, I feel like there is 
something interesting there that could really be explored kind of the world building of how the human race got to that point and kind of divulged evolutionarily into kind of like it seems like that subspecies and then the kind of regular human species that we're you know familiar with yeah you know i feel like i feel like every single story we watch we say could there be a big finish spin-off in it but it is something where kind of finding out about this kind of um human history um way 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 in the far future i mean yeah. even disconnected from dr it's an interesting idea yeah a uh, future kind sorry not a human kind future kind that's why i can't find anything about them the future kind uh, okay that's it okay um we will get some big finish in the end because um, there's some stuff we need to talk about. Um, so Derek Jacobi is also in this episode as Professor Yana. He is amazing in this episode. He's yeah, he's really good. He's brilliant. I mean, um, he's the standout for me. Yeah. For me, like the thing that makes this episode so great is Jer- Derek Jacobi's performance as uh, Professor Yana and. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting were... character because it, it, it's not... Professor Yana isn't, like, a perfect character by any means. Like, you can kind of tell with his kind of uh, um, insect, uh, alien companion. I can't remember what uh, they exactly refer to her as. That he's a little bit... Yeah, that he's a little bit condescending of her, a little bit overbearing, almost mansplainy at points. I don't know if that's quite great. But kind of you can tell that everything he does comes from a good place and he's clearly kind of this brilliant, smart guy who only intends to do well. He's, he's like a flawed but endearing character. Yeah, uh, I, I get the impression he's been there for a while and he's slowly coming to the end of his tether with all the equipment and he just can't get it to work and everybody's, he's the only one doing it and everybody's going, when's it going to be ready? When's it going to be ready? It's just him and Chantor down there trying to work it all out and she doesn't really know what's going on and he's getting a bit peed off with her sort of thing. Yeah, I think there's a. I love the moment where it's kind of him and the doctor that are working on kind of like the spaceship trying to get it to work, and the doctor's just admiring his work and kind of saying, "This is amazing. You're a genius." And there's that yeah. real kind of like connection because obviously, like, the doctor is really a very highly intelligent character, but and even when he has like a highly intelligent companion such as. Um, Martha or Captain Jack he's never able to quite connect with them on that intellectual level so it's it's just really cool to kind of see him find someone who kind of in that way you can really connect with yeah obviously we know why he can connect with Professor Yana so well Um, I want to save that to the end because that's probably the most exciting part but um, let's go back to Jack. Um, Jack and the Doctor. This is the first. When when you think of Jack and the Doctor, who do you picture Jack with? Probably just because I mean, Klein to say a tenth Doctor. Yeah. Um, You've never thought about yeah. it till just then, though. Just, have you? Not really. No, not really. I guess honestly, it's kind of nine and ten equally they've probably had an equal amount of kind of stories together yeah because he doesn't seem too fussed about meeting a doctor with a new face there's no why did you change what happened it's almost just like because jack's dead by the time the ninth doctor regenerates Mm. yeah is there a point within 
I don't remember Jack ever learning about what regeneration is in series one. In, in Torchwood, did Jack learn about regeneration? I don't think so, but I think he knew what a Time Lord was. Okay. okay. So I imagine, therefore, he must sort of... If he's a time agent and he was dealing with stuff like that, wasn't he? So uh, I imagine he sort of knows. Um, another Jack question. I find it... Sorry, go on. The thing that I find more interesting is kind of the Doctor's reaction. Kind of initially, there's a real distance that he puts between himself and Jack. Kind of the whole thing of like kind of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he's an old friend. I used to travel with him. Yeah. And it kind of brings back that thing that kind of I remember from school reunion, kind of the way that the Doctor kind of has a companion, spends some time with them, but then kind of moves on very quickly once they're no longer in the picture. Yeah, well, Martha picks up it's on that. It's interesting to mention. She mentions about being left behind. Mm-hmm. And that did remind me of when Rose is like, is that what happens? You just pick us up, take us on a few adventures and dump us. And, he, and then he does that really lovely speech about how that she can spend the rest of her life with him, but he can't spend the rest of her his life with her. Uh, sort of echoes that a bit, but this one is slightly more aggressive, which is brilliantly followed up by uh, Jack announcing that the only reason the Doctor had Rose hanging around is because she was blonde, which is something <laughs> we've picked up on in various yeah. episodes. Like every female character that the Doctor does have some sort of romantic interest with. He's always a blonde white lady. I can't but wonder, like, who, who was calling that shot? Was it... Or is it... Because obviously that's a moment of real self-awareness from Russell in his writing. And I can't but wonder, like, was it Russell making the choice that Tenth Doctor likes pretty blondes? <laughs> or was he just feeding into what David Tennant's type seemed to be? I I wonder what the thought process was that went into that line, just the casting in general of Tenth's romantic interests. I wonder if it's something we haven't picked up on yet, which is that... Rose is a blonde woman and he's replacing her with other people who fit a vaguely similar description of Rose to fill the void of Rose. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Um, That could be, that could very much be the intention. It also um, interests me um, kind of just to see the way that Martha is quite comfortable having that conversation in a way that I feel like Rose wouldn't have been. Kind of, it's yeah. already an indication that kind of Martha has gotten almost past the point of admiration that Rose was at. And kind of Martha seems to already be nearing a place where she's ready and pre- accepting and prepared to move on from the Doctor and accepting that she won't be with him forever. Something that yeah. Rose never really had. Yeah, I did write it in one of my notes that it sort of seems by this point she's sort of made her mind up almost. There's a scene where Chanto is talking about that. She actually quite fancies Professor Yana. She has a slight crush on him. And she's saying, he never notices me and all this. And Martha says, oh, I know how you feel. So, But I feel like she's almost sort of just like, we'll get this sorted and then I'm off, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's it's a weirdly identifiable thing, isn't it? You know, like, there's someone you admire, perhaps in a crush rate, perhaps not. And the feelings are reciprocated. And it's quite a mature thing, really, to just kind of acknowledge that, come to terms with that, and just kind of move on from it. I mean, obviously, that's something we see Martha do much more explicitly, but it's refreshing to see in that sort of character. Yeah. Um, What I like about, going back to Professor Yana, we're going to be talking about him a lot because he's like the big standout in this episode, is that when you first meet him, and even though you get hints to who he actually is, 
there is no real giveaways to be honest in his performance when he meets the doctor he's very excited he's like oh you're the doctor brilliant brilliant you can come save me and he's the score changes and everything's very uplifting all of a sudden i really like that aspect of it's not like what i feel they would maybe have done in the moffat era which is oh who's this character is spooky standing in the background sort of thing it's almost like this is just a nice guy oh plot twist like what they did with sasha duar um almost like a complete handbrake turn and it's the master. Yeah, and I feel like that that's great and that's how I love it. I feel like, I don't know if like there was any kind of like signposting in the promotional material um, for this series when it came out that the master would be coming back, but just watching the show itself, it comes completely 100% out of left field. Yeah. And it is brilliant. And so much of it is down to just kind of how earnestly Jacoby embraces the role of both Yana and the Master, and more so Yana, really, in a similar way to how Tennant really treated John Smith as his own identity and his own person. Yeah, I, this got me thinking because the I want to know if Paul Cornell wrote Human Nature and Russell was like, oh, that's a good idea to bring back the Master that way, or if it was because Paul Cornell wrote a book about the Doctor working at the school, but I haven't yeah. read that book to know if the chameleon arc is uh, in that book. Yeah, that's something I'm wondering about because obviously, yeah, human nature was originally a story. Like you said, it was a novel, Isaac. It was a novel um, written with McCoy's doctor in mind. It, It really does all crooks on whether or not the chameleon arch was in that story or not, because if it wasn't in that story, that means that Russell kind of thought of the idea of the comedian arch and then got Cornell to work into his as foreshadowing. If Cornell invented the comedian arch, that means that Russell kind of had has clearly read into human nature, which probably would have done either way. And was like, ooh, I could use that. And hey, if I'm going to introduce comedian arch, the greatest to introduce it would be adapting that story. Yeah. I've just had a quick skim through the TARDIS wiki for human nature, the novel, and there's no mention of the chameleon circuit within that. So I think it was invented okay. for that episode. If people know, they'll be able to tell us in the comments, uh, yeah. if you would be so kind. Yeah, because we're, 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 we're not... I'm not a real nerd. I don't... No, I mean, I, I can't put the work in to properly call myself a Doctor Who nerd. I feel like I'm only a casual viewer. Yeah. And yeah, I do a pod- oh, well, no, I do a podcast, so of course I'm a huge nerd. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> I'm just not nerdy enough. Um, the little character of Crete, um, who is the little boy who hangs around on the ship, he is played by oh a, a man who won a Blue Peter competition to be in the episode and star in that role. How cool is that? You you couldn't honestly can't tell. I mean. I just I just assumed it was some you know talented little young actor who ran the gig. You can't tell it was a competition winner because I mean I guess if he won that competition, and entered it, he must have loved Doctor Who, and you can kind of tell because he plays the role kind of so earnestly and so enthusiastically. Yeah, I know I was yeah. watching Blue Peter at that time, and I was watching Doctor Who. I wonder if I entered that competition. It could have been a very different story for us. Mm. Yeah, um, but that kid new. now he was in Train Spotting Two, 
He was in Tracy Beaker Returns. He's in Overlook or Overwatch or something like that. He was in the Hobbit movies. He's gone. Oh to, wow! He's gone on to do a lot of good stuff. Wow! Yeah. Wow! What's his name? Uh, yeah, um, the Captain Jack has his hand in his has the Doctor's <laughs> hand in uh, in his backpack. Um, a nice little callback there. Um, I don't believe so far through Torture Series One that it's been established that Jack did pick up that hand or how he managed to get his hands on the hand. Um, but it's a nice little throwaway gag, I guess. It's funny, yeah, and obviously it plays into stuff that happens later on. Honestly, I forgot that it was introduced in this series. I thought that it was only introduced in Series 4 because of how it plays into the plot there. Um, yeah. Do you think that when Russell introduced it here, he kind of had that kind of idea in mind? Or did you, did you, do you just think it was a fun thing he wanted to put in? I think it's just a fun thing. I can't really recall to you at the moment if it, how much it plays into the remaining two episodes of this series, if at all. So don't tell me. Um but, yeah, it's there, isn't it? It's just a thing. I like the fact that Jack's got it and he's sort of been waiting for the Doctor to come back. It's, also, it's, it's very fun it's that Russell brought back the hand, but also, in a sense, it's kind of weird. It's kind of the equivalent of if, like, a Star Wars movie explained what happened to Luke's hand after Empire. Because we, we know what happened to the lightsaber. We don't know what happened to Luke's hand. Uh... I think the original opening for The Force Awakens was It's going to be the gonna... hand holding a saber floating in space, right? Yeah, that was it, yeah. I just, I just want to know what happened to Luke's hand, man. Luke's <laughs> hand is out there. That's the real treasure. He couldn't have tossed um, his hand over his shoulder. He would have been like, oh, oh, shit, it's my hand. <laughs> I wonder if I can, like, reattach it. Um, the TARDIS is rescued because the TARDIS is left out on the planet and the people of the people who are about to get on the ship go and rescue it. And that's where Professor Yana really starts to remember who he actually is and he picks up the fob watch. And uh, I really like that scene where Martha goes and tells the Doctor that there is a man out there who has the same watch that he had. Yeah, so I think from like, the introduction of that onwards... Like suddenly it's like the show is like, it's a, it's a cool episode, it's an intriguing episode. But at that point, it's like just injected with this sudden buzz of energy and something, everything is go, go, go. And like Martha tells Doctor, and you can see how it immediately affects him. He's like, oh, oh my God, yeah. what, what? And you can see him processing it. Like suddenly just like from that point onwards, the episode just nonstop excitement. For like the Murray's, Murray Gold score really picks up. The way it's shot, feels like it's gone suddenly way more intense. I know, I just love that shift, that sudden shift. I always like how other characters are excited that the Time Lords are back, but the Doctor is always a bit... He's almost scared. He's not happy that they're back. He doesn't want them to be back almost. As much as he goes on about missing Gallifrey and it not being there and not having his, you know, his home, um, that said, whenever they do return, or there is hope of them returning, he's never that chuffed about it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I find really, really interesting about Doctor Who's kind of world building and more kind of the relationship between the Doctor and kind of the other Time Lords and Gallifrey. And it's something which, while I completely understand why Gallifrey was destroyed and because of kind of how it affects the Doctor and what that adds and it returns that air of mystery, I kind of wish New Who could at some point in the future 
you know, when they find another way to bring Gallifrey back, because I'm sure they will, like really explore that kind of dynamic. Because really the most we've seen in you who is probably hell bent, that kind of weird dynamic between the Doctor and, the, and Gallifrey. Yeah. And it's something I just find really interesting because, like, the Time Lords aren't necessarily villains by any means in the way the Dark Souls Cybermen are, but they're kind of not on the same wavelength as our heroes. Yeah. Because in um, the David Tennant's final episodes, where I think Will Fast, that the, when the Time Lords come back, he said, it depends which one, some are good, some are bad. Obviously, Rassilon comes back, who's, you know, just got a few screws loose, played by Timothy Dolan, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, the, the Professor Yannary Elkins is watching, we hear the voiceovers from past masters, including uh, Roger Delgado and Anthony Ainsley. Um, and that reveal is so amazing. The way Derek Jeffrey, he just turns to the camera and it, he turns from Professor Yana into the master and he doesn't change anything. There's no yeah. costume change, there's nothing. I think it, maybe the score as well helps, but. Mm. Yana's now gone. And I think that's such a, an amazing yeah. the way he just instantly is evil. Even to yeah, Chantel, I... he's like pestering her and going at her with the exposed wire. Um when I that's, yeah, that's great. in that scene kind of when I looked at it, I was looking at kind of Jacoby's eyes and I don't know what it is. There's something just very different in his eyes and watch him. it feels like you're looking into the eyes of a different person yeah it's incredible i also i also like that jacoby is a doctor who fan in confidential he said that he he's two goals when he became an actor were to be in coronation street and to be in doctor who i mean you know i'd be lying if i said that like i wouldn't be chuffed as cheese if i was on doctor who <laughs> chuffed as cheese. i don't even i love that <laughs> I don't know if that's even a phrase. It it sounded like a phrase when I said it, but I don't know if it's a real phrase. I like to. I'm going to say it more. Um, so let's talk about the regeneration scene. Would you have liked, I know the answer is going to be yes, to have seen more of Jacoby's, um as the master? I mean, <laughs> yes. The answer is yes, because what we see here is just so enticing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just a question of, because of the way it's set up, which I love the way it's set up, the only way we could have got more Jacoby Master would either be an additional story before he turns into, into Sim, which I feel like it wouldn't have worked him turning into Sim with the story we got. And I'm glad there is Sim in the stories we get following this. But at the same time, if he could fit in more Jacoby on screen somewhere, but I guess that's what Big Finish is for, isn't it? I know there's loads of great kind of time or stuff with Jacoby. Yeah, Big Finish master. has done lots. He's you know now known as the War Master, um, Derek Jacoby to go alongside the War Doctor. Um, that said, he seems to have done a lot of stories with Paul McGann's Doctor rather than um, the late great John Hurt. But I've listened to um, Beneath the Viscode, I believe it's called. Pardon me, in which the master crash lands and he passes himself off as the doctor. And um, that's really good fun. But let's talk about the regeneration scene. I like that it's the same as the doctors, but just with some slightly different lighting effects. Um, I think that's really great. Yeah. I love when we go into regeneration, kind of like when, we, when a doctor regenerates, 
the kind of the first thing we experience is kind of the doctor kind of collecting themselves, just kind of it's usually a bit more of a slower, quiet moment. Whereas here, like Johnson is just like full on screaming when he <laughs> turns into him. It's just a brilliantly fun contrast, which kind of immediately encapsulates kind of the energy that John Sims master has. Yeah. Um, obviously John Sim came from life on Mars. Um, that's obviously where they sort of must have gotten the idea for him to be the master he was in life on Mars is, is Sam Tyler in 2006, 2007. And in 2007, he also does Dr. Who. Maybe that played into the reason why there was only ever two series of life on Mars, but, um, yeah, I really like that. And I know there's talk that his performance in um, Moffat's era alongside Capaldi is better, but I feel that's be- they're two different characters, they're two different incarnations of the same master. The master you see in these stories is a relatively newly regenerated master. So he's going to be slightly cut loose and more batshit crazy. Whereas when you see him in twice not twice upon a time in um oh, what's it called um you know you know what i'm talking about where it's him and michelle gomez when yeah well's enough in time is it well enough time that's it when you see him in there that's towards the end of his life so he's going to be more uh focused and more grounded i feel because he's grown as a as a version of himself yeah i mean i feel like i've already watched sound of the drums at time of recording this um, so I kind of have that foresight fresh in my mind. Um, one of the things I always hear people complain about with um, Sims Master, and this is something I'll go into more so um, in our story, is that people struggle to kind of take him seriously, I think. Mm. But I feel like even in this episode, in this cliffhanger, um, yes, he is, you know, loud and a bit goofy and a bit all over the place, but at the same time, just the way it's put together, he still feels like a legitimate threat. The way that the Doctor and companions are reacting to him, it is kind of this wearing deep shit feeling, you know? Yeah. Like, even though, and I feel like the fact that he's joking around and almost kind of like reveling in that kind of makes it feel even worse, just the amount that he kind of lavishes the <laughs> struggle he's putting the Doctor and friends through. Yeah, yeah. He's a, I really enjoyed this episode, mainly because it's a good setup for what's to come with some great performances. And it, I don't, sometimes you feel like you can sometimes skip the, 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 the episode before the final two parter, um, you know, with Boomtown as a prime example almost. But this is one that really sets everything up perfectly. And there's also a really good line in this when he regenerates and Martha says, I know that voice. And it's yeah. not yet revealed who he actually, even though we know he's the master, we don't know who he's, his persona is. So I like that there is still, the, the, the reveal isn't that he is the master all along. The reveal is there is something else. It's a multi-tiered reveal because there's the, there's the reveal. There's so many reveals t- stacked upon each other. There's the Face of Bo, you are not alone. Yeah. The revealing a time lord, reveal that that time lord is the master, and then there's the reveal of who the master is going to turn out to be. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you guys seem to enjoy it as well. I put out on our Instagram at Bigger on the Pod. Go give us a follow. Um, I asked you guys what you thought of Utopia. I'm going to read one of the comments out here. Yoda the Jedi fought too. He said it's one of the best stories ever. 
which is a very high praise and and somewhat inclined to agree with him as well. It's been one of my favourites this series, I feel. Yeah, it's been so exciting. Honestly, I'm starting to wonder, like, this is such an exciting beginning of a story. I'm I'm not sure if the sound of the drums or how the final episode's called of this series, but I'd... It's going to take a lot of work for it to match the excitement that this one generates. Yeah. I'll tell you what does take a lot of work, Harry, and that's getting you to get some right answers on the quiz. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> um... Professor Yana is made a cup of coffee by Chantor, and Professor Yana offers her if she would like a cup of coffee, and she says she's quite happy drinking what? Um, her own milk, is it? Oh, I will give you that. Her internal milk is the correct answer. Yes, that's it. Um, so that's one. Well done. That's a good start. When the Doctor, Martha, and Jack arrive at the gates to the asylum base thing, um. They have to do what to prove that they are not future kind? They have to show their teeth. Two. Could we be about to get a full house? Captain Jack Harkness, when he is telling the Doctor the various ways that he has found out that he is immortal, he says he got hit by what? And the Doctor goes, ooh, like that. Was it a lorry? It was a stray javelin. Oh, of course it was. Two out of three is that's not, not bad, Harry. It's one of your better scores, mate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you totally maybe that just speaks to maybe that just speaks to how engaged I was in the episode. I don't know. Mm. Utopia really enjoyed it. It was super good fun. Um, did you enjoy it? Absolutely. It's gonna. Already think about my ranking. It's gonna be, it's gonna definitely be in the top half. 100%. I'm looking forward to doing our series ranking because I've got some things to say about series three that I didn't think I would be saying before we started watching series three. So yes. there's a tease for when that comes out. I remember you had a very particular attitude about series three going in, which yeah. I feel like this viewing has subverted. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. We'll have to wait and see. Um, oh, what do we do now? We do our recommendations. Harry, do you have anything you would like to recommend? Or would you like me, as always, to go first? I'm just going to wait for a second because Harry is frozen. Oh, now oh, he's back. back. So I will ask him again in case he didn't hear me. But Harry, would you like to recommend anything to our listeners at home? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Um, the week that we're recording this is the week that uh, a lot of the lockdown uh, restrictions were eased. And on the Monday, the first day of restrictions being eased, I went to the cinema and I went to see um, the best picture winning film from this year, Nomadland. Yeah. And it was, I don't know if it's just kind of the experience of being a cinema again and the kind of the release of that and the catharsis of that or just like, being with people, with friends, be able to see it, or if it was just a really good film. 
it was a really just wonderful experience. Yeah, it's um, great. Oh, yeah. Generally, generally go to the cinemas. You know, it's it's an experience I've missed so much. I didn't realize how much I missed it until I went in. But also, No Madland specifically is such a beautiful film in every sense of the word. Um, Francis McDormand is fantastic in it. The film looks it looks incredible. It's a film worth seeing on the big screen. You know, it's not huge or flashy, but just the way it's shot, it's just stunning. It's stunning. I've never seen, I I don't know if I've ever seen America filmed in such a beautiful way before. It's just, it was just a really wonderful experience. um, I went to cinema as well. What did you say? I went to sort of Taxi Driver. I think it's like the anniversary screen of Taxi. Mean, I want to say the fortieth anniversary, something like that. It's getting on a bit. That oh, film. Is that, are you going to recommend Taxi Driver? I'm not going to recommend Taxi Driver. I'll echo what you said, and I'll recommend. Uh, I do have my own recommendation, but I will also channel what you said by go to the cinema, go support your local cinemas, and view cinema. Do lots of anniversary screenings. So if there's a film you've always wanted to see. Um, but you don't really think watching it at home on telly would do it justice, um, like Taxi Driver, then go to the big screen and see it on the big screen and experience it how it should be. If not, do just buy it on DVD. But ideally go to the cinema. Don't watch stuff on your laptop because it's not very good because I feel like I would have enjoyed Kong versus Godzilla much more if I'd watched it on a big screen, but I didn't watch it on my laptop in my bed. Um, I do have a friend bit... Sorry, what was that? I have a friend who I don't think they've watched it at home, but, but like in the lead up to cinemas opening, are like, I just want to see a big monkey fight a big lizard on the big screen. <laughs> I think they still want to do it. I think they still want to go and see Kong vs. Godzilla on the big screen just for that experience. Just yeah. that big epic thing on a big epic screen. Yeah. 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 I'm going to recommend um, it's not really, it, it's a podcast. But it's an old podcast from the early to mid-late 2000s of 2006 and seven and eight and onwards. Um, Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish. Joe Cornish, you all know, is director of Attack the Block and coming up for Attack the Block 2, the king who would be king, uh, the kid who would be king, and writer of Ant-Man and Adam Buxton, you will know from the Adam Buxton podcast, the Adam and Joe show. And being a big old David Bowie fan, um, that was dreadful. Why did I do that? <laughs> um, but they did a BBC radio show back in the day called The Adam and Joe Show before, uh, sorry, after leaving XFM. And you can listen to all of those on Spotify, um, just them rambling, having a good old chat. They do some fun features, get some funny phone-ins going. And it's really just good listening. I listen to it, put my headphones in while I'm cooking my tea on an evening. I'm going to listen to it after we've recorded this. Um, so yeah, that's what I'd like to recommend. The Adam and Joe show on um, what was BBC Radio 6 but is now on Spotify. Just search Adam and Joe and it's on there. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Um, next week we have The Sound of Drums and The Last of the Time Lords. Are we going to do them both together? We will do them, if those are the two episodes that come chronologically after this one, then yes. <laughs> those will be the two, and they okay. will be uploaded within one big video like we did with Human Nature. Um, 
I know some of you might prefer us to do them separately, but just for scheduling reasons to make sure that we can get through the tenant era and to finish up the RTD, RTD era in good time. Um, sometimes we will condense these big episodes together. But don't worry, I imagine when we get to the very last two-parter, um, those will be two separate because they're big grand crescendo episodes and I would hate to feel like we've... I feel like when we get... I just feel like when we get to that point, like we're not going to be quite ready to let Tennant go. <laughs> we want him to go. I have been surprised so far how quickly it seems to have passed. When we did Chris... We did one a week. We recorded one a week, um, and they went out one a week, and we've recorded about one a week again. But for some reason, it seems to have flown past a lot quicker, and I feel that's maybe because I was expecting Eccleston stuff to fly past quick because he was only around for one series, and Tennant was my doctor for a long, long time. And so I was kind of expecting to that feeling to be simulated again, but I've been very surprised how quickly we've managed to uh, get through them. Yeah, it's weird. We're most of the way through it, which is weird because it feels in some ways that we've only just got going with Tenant's Doctor Yeah, in a weird way. I would, I'll also I clarify know. as well that last year we did the Christmas special that landed on Christmas. Um, that was purely by chance. That won't be happening this series. Uh, you will be getting Voyager the Dam a few weeks after whenever uh, the last episode of Series 3 comes out. So you don't have to wait till Christmas. We're not going to disappear. We've got very consistent schedule uploads until about September time so uh, stay tuned for that uh, Harry looks slightly worried but we can pre-record a lot of that. Oh, so, I was just wondering what do we do when we catch up to the show? Do we I was thinking kind of, about that today and just, I don't know yet. <laughs> does it become just news or are we just going to have to do weird niche things? Don't know, well if you guys think of anything do contact us on Instagram um, at Bigger on the Pod and Twitter is the same at Bigger on the Pod just give us your suggestions. We've got um, some fun anniversary stuff coming up as well. Perhaps we can do some big finish. Perhaps we can do some comics. I would personally like to, I won't say, I won't say it on air. I will wait and I will discuss it with you afterwards because then it's exciting. But uh, yeah, cool beans. Um, anything else you want to say, Harry, before we disappear into the internet? Uh... No. Nope. Well, I hope you guys have been chipped as cheese with this episode. I will say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Now, Harry, do you um, care to say goodbye to our listeners? Goodbye. Oh, very nice. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.